1899, four newspaper writers gathered in a local train station here in Denver. See, back in that day, if you wanted to catch news, you had to go to the source, and one of the best sources of news was the train station, because you could sit in the train station and wait and see who came in. Maybe someone famous would come to town, or maybe someone would come in bringing a a story from another town. So the, the four riders sat in the station, and they waited patiently, and no news came. Nothing worth writing about, right? And this concerned them greatly because if the four of them went back to their editor with no story, that wouldn't be good for their job. So they began to wonder, maybe we should come up with a story. But one person couldn't come up with a story for this to work. If it was going to work, they all needed to be in on this, right? They all needed to write the story. So as they talked about it, they decided this story would have to be so big and so far removed from us that the facts couldn't be easily checked. So they went to a local pub, and after a few pints of Denver's finest, they crafted a masterful story. They decided that they would write about a group of American engineers who had stopped off in Denver on their way to China. Why would they be going to China, someone said. Well, they're going to China to bid on tearing down the Great Wall of China. Why in the world would they want us to tear down their wall? Well, China's decided that they're going to be open to trade with the West, so they're removing the wall as a symbol of opening their nation. So the four of them left, and they all wrote their articles. They turned them into their editors, and the articles ran in the four papers in Denver. And the articles, as sometimes happens when you have a good story, started to get picked up by other newspapers outside of Denver. They ran in in newspapers all over the country. And so the story goes, eventually, these articles spread not just to the country, but outside the country, and eventually made their way to China. As you can imagine, they were not too excited about the prospect of American engineers coming to tear down their wall. In fact, there was a group of Chinese that were not too happy with the West, and when they heard this news, they decided to do something about it. And so they began killing Westerners and Americans that were in China. The only Americans that were really in China at that point were there serving as missionaries. So... As they killed these these Americans that were there, we didn't care much for that, neither did several other nations, and so we responded by sending in troops to go in and defend and settle things down. We invested thousands of troops, and China lost millions of dollars in what is known as the Boxer Revolution. History records the Boxer Revolution. And it all started from this simple story in, an, in a train station, someone trying to keep their job, fabricating a story, and it ran and it got out of control. Now, see, this story is a classic example of something that you and I hear about every day. We read the stories and we listen to the news and we hear about fake news, news that's been made up to serve a purpose. We, we write a story about something to, to get our purpose accomplished And we don't really care if it's true or not, because by the time people figure out it's true, the damage is already done. Well, what's worse about this story 
about these writers that wrote this article and the destruction it caused. What's worse is that the story in itself is not entirely true. While it is true, there is plenty of evidence to support that there were four writers that wrote a story about the destruction of the Great Wall of China, and it did run in the papers in Denver. There is no basis to connect that to the start of the Boxer Revolution. The first time that we heard a connection between the Boxer Revolution and this article was in 1939, 40 years later, when a Denver uh, musician, Harry Lee Wilbur, wrote a story. And in the story, he talked about a preacher who had shared from the pulpit a message about the destruction of lies and had connected in his sermon this story that ran in the newspaper and the Boxer Revolution, and the the destruction that the lies had caused. In fact, since that time, it's been shared from pulpits many, many times from different preachers that this lie led to this destruction. And as I began to speak today, I thought, you know, I I could tell this story in a way that I don't even have to mention that it's not true. I could just glaze over that part because I could hone in on the, the, the point of the lie leading to destruction. But how ironic to preach a message on truth and base it on an illustration that's not true. If I'm going to proclaim to you a message on truth, it has to be pure truth from the Word of God. For the last several weeks, we've been in a sermon series called Love Is, based on 1 Corinthians 13. And we've been talking about all the different aspects of what love is and what love is not. So we're going to read this again this morning. If you'd like, you can read aloud with me as we go through it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. As you might have guessed this morning, we're going to be focusing in on verse 6. Verse 6 says, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It doesn't delight in evil, it rejoices in the truth. That seems simple enough. Simple enough. Don't delight in evil. Rejoice in the truth. Who would delight in evil? As, as I look out on you, I, I see a good group of people, and I don't see anyone out there that seems to be some kind of criminal mastermind. You might imagine someone like Lex Luthor who delights in evil. While I might, not look, I might look a little bit like him, I'm not called to act like him. Abraham Lincoln's credited with asking a man, well, let's see, how many legs has a cow? Well, four, the man replied. That's right, Lincoln agreed. Now, suppose you call the man's tail a leg. Suppose you call the cow's tail a leg. How many legs would the cow have? Why, five, of course, the man confidently answered. Now, that's where you're wrong, Lincoln said. Calling a cow's tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. Truth is truth. Pretending something to be true doesn't make it the truth. In today's day and age, we deal with so many half-truths that we often lose sight of what real truth is. 
We have things that are kind of true or sort of true or maybe true. But the Bible is very clear that there's no such thing as kind of true or half true. There's just truth. Paul says it very clearly in 1 Corinthians. He says we're either delighting in evil or we're rejoicing in the truth. Isaiah 59 talks about the state the world was in before God sent Jesus. Starting in verse 12, it says, For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities. Now, here's the list of what they've done. Rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived, so justice is driven back, and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. As I read through the list of of their transgressions, the list of wrongs that they had done, I, I think about the kinds of things that we see, that we hear about. See, we tell stories to incite revolt and oppression. We utter lies our hearts have conceived. And because we do this, righteousness stands at a distance and honesty is not able to enter into what we do. Whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. Today, it seems like that anyone that sets out to tell the truth is already at a disadvantage because we don't really want the truth. We don't want to hear the truth. We want to hear a sensational story about someone else's calamities. And in fact, we, we watch videos and, and see things that, that, that laugh and make light of other people's failures. Some say we don't want the truth. In the movie A Few Good Men, Colonel Nathan Jessup famously says, you can't handle the truth. I don't think it's that we don't want the truth, and I don't think it's that we can't handle the truth. I think the issue is that we don't know what, true, what real truth is. The word used in 1 Corinthians 13 for truth is the Greek word aletheia. Aletheia. The New Bible Dictionary defines its use in this place as the absolute sense of that which is real and complete as opposed to that which is false and wanting. The sense of that which is real and complete as opposed to that which is false and wanting. So how do we find this truth that is real and complete? Well, before we dive into the truth itself, we're going to talk about the enemy of truth. The enemy of truth is evil. 1 Corinthians 13, 6, again, it said, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. That word but in the middle is very important because it says these two things are opposites of each other. There's a contrast here between the evil at the beginning and the truth at the end. They're not the same. They're set in opposition to each other. Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. It talks about the wickedness and the godlessness, the evil, the evil of mankind. And what leads to the evil of mankind is that they suppress the truth. They suppress the truth. They hide it. See, when we allow ourselves to be a part of covering up the truth, we're allowing ourselves to be a part of evil. 
When we decide to tell a story that we know isn't true, then we're not a part of what's real and complete. We aren't a part of the truth, and if you're not a part of the truth, you're part of evil. If you decide to take part in, in watching movies or, or reading books or sharing stories about other people that you know are not a part of the truth that God has called you to, then you aren't a part of rejoicing in the truth. You're a part of encouraging this world to delight in the wickedness and the evil. Second Thessalonians further talks about this idea. It says in verse 10, and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but delighted in wickedness. Paul's speaking here about the end times. And he's talking about that those that perish at the end, they do so because they refused to love the truth. He says they haven't believed the truth. When we, when we hear the truth and we believe the truth, we don't allow wickedness to deceive us. Do we act in a way that loves the truth or do we delight in the wickedness? Well, to know what's truth, we're gonna dive in a little deeper to that definition of what love is. I'm sorry, what truth is. We said earlier the definition for this truth is the absolute sense of that which is real and complete as opposed to what is false and wanting. Why would anyone settle for what is false and wanting when they can have what is real and complete? I think many struggle to find the truth because there's only one true source of absolute truth. The Bible makes it very clear what that source is. It says in John 14, 6, Jesus answered them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So where do we find truth? Jesus tells us, he says, I am the truth. I am the truth. It doesn't hide it. It's not in a, in a language that's hard for us to understand. The Bible didn't make this something that would be difficult to decipher. In fact, John repeatedly tells us about Jesus being the truth. In John 1.14, he says, The Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The very beginning of John, it's already talking about Jesus being full of grace and truth. In fact, he comes back just a few verses later in verse 17. It says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Here we see a contrast between the law of Moses. The law of Moses is meant to point out the wickedness of mankind. It points out the fact that we can't measure up to what God has called us to. The plan that was there in the Old Testament was to follow these laws, but the truth was no one could follow the laws. There was no way for anyone to satisfy the law. So it didn't do anything more than point out the wickedness of man. And so it wasn't absolute truth because for truth to be truth, it has to be real and complete. And it wasn't a complete plan to bring us in alignment with God. So God sent Jesus who came full of grace and truth the grace that lets us look past, that lets God look past the law so that God would look on us and forgive us, that we wouldn't be measured by the law, but that we would be measured by Jesus' grace. It's the first complete plan that we have. We have a way to actually measure up. Jesus brings the first 
presence of absolute truth to the world. So if Jesus is the truth and the enemy of truth is evil, then which of those two are you choosing to tap into? See, a few weeks ago, Spencer talked about this idea of being plugged into Jesus. And I want to talk to you a little bit differently today about that with the idea of being a tree. See, trees need nutrients to survive. When you plant them, they grow roots deep into the ground, and they seek out sources of water and nutrients that they might grow. And whatever they find, whatever they tap into, that decides what the tree is going to look like. If you tap into a supply of evil in your, in your search for truth, if you decide to tap into evil, you might look like this. You won't produce fruit to bless others. But if you plant your roots into Jesus, into absolute truth, then you have the real truth of God flowing through you. Your fruit will be bountiful. You'll be a blessing to others around you. What kind of things are you setting your roots into? Are you focusing on the emptiness of the world? Do you let your thoughts be consumed with negative images and stories that Hollywood and the news give us? Do you spend your time discussing everyone else's problems? What does your tree look like to the world around you? Because, you see, if you have truth in your life, then your tree should look different. It should look different because truth changes us. Truth changes us. Jesus praying for his disciples in, in John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is, this is just before he goes to die. And he's praying for his followers and he says, God, sanctify them in your truth. Set them apart in your truth. Make them different in your truth. Make them different to this world so that they would stand out against evil because they would have the truth. And they can share the truth. And they can share the truth with the tool that he shares. Your word is the truth. God gives us the story of his absolute truth in his word. It's the only story we have that has the absolute, real and complete story of God. What happens when people hear the truth within the pages? Paul talks about it in Ephesians 1.13. He says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. When we hear the truth, the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, and we choose to believe it and make the truth ours, then we're marked with him, we're saved with him and sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So if you don't want your tree to look like the one on the left, you have to choose to plant your roots into something better. You have to choose to, choose to plant your roots into the absolute truth of Jesus so that when others see your tree full of fruit, they'll wonder what you've done differently for your tree than everyone else. Do you ever walk around your neighborhood and judge other people's yards? I mean, look at other people's yards? You know, you walk around and you see a yard and when you see one that's got brown grass and kind of dead trees with sticks and shrubs that are all mangly looking, you don't generally knock on their door and say, 
what are you doing to your grass? I just want to know so that I can do it. Right? You, you might want to know what they're doing so that you cannot do it. But when you see someone who has a perfectly green yard that's manicured well and beautiful trees with flowering fruit and shrubs, you want to know what in the world are they doing different? We have the same water. How are they making theirs look so much better than mine? That's what we're called to. We're called to be different enough so that people might see us and go, something there is different. I've got to figure out what they're doing because they're getting this better than I am. So if we're going to be different, how are we going to change who we are? How do we do it? Comedian George Carlin once said, I put a dollar in a change machine, but nothing happened. Nothing changed. There's no magic machine that changes us. To reflect the truth of Jesus, we gotta change who we are on the inside. It's a process. It's not a magic machine, but how do we do it? Well, we have to start by stopping allowing the evil things to be a part of our lives. We gotta guard our hearts from seeing wickedness. We gotta stop spreading stories to others that aren't true so that we aren't a part of spreading it. But apart from that, what we don't do, we've got to start spending time with the source of truth. We've got to pray and talk to God. We've got to read his word, his story of absolute truth, so that it can begin to change us from within. The more that we invest in the truth of Jesus, the less we will desire the wicked things of the world, and the more that we will stand out. As we begin to come to a close today, I want to leave you with a word of warning. As you pursue God and you become different, you share the truth with others, but as you share the truth, you have to be careful because your goal isn't just to be right, your goal is to be heard. This weekend, yesterday, my family and I went to go see the new Disney movie, the new Beauty and the Beast movie that came out, and uh, it was a great movie, it was just like the one that came out 25 years ago, but they told it again. <laughs> it was a good movie. And you might have heard about Beauty and the Beast in the news in the last couple of weeks because there's been some stories about it, about churches calling for people to boycott the movie and not go see it. Because in the movie, they claimed that there was this, this, in, this uh, uh, very apparent homosexual situation And there was some truth to it. As I watched the movie, um, there's nothing wrong with the church proclaiming truth and saying, we don't support this. We don't stand for this. This isn't the truth of God. But what was sad was the stories that I read leading up to seeing the movie, they talked about what happened in this scene and they added to it. They, put, they, they talked about things that were not a part of the movie and so as you read it, they would say, oh, well, this is going to happen in the movie, and that's, that's, we can't have that. And this is going to happen in the movie, and this we can't have. And as I saw the movie, none of those things happened. Now, there was a scene that saddened my heart that it needed to be included into a story about a singing candlestick. But it was the embellishment that was the sad part. Why did the Christian community need to take the wicked part and make it worse so that they could tell the story? 
They took, that, they took it and they distorted the truth for the purposes of making their story better. If we are going to share the truth with others, we have to start by resting on the truth itself and not embellishing it or adding to it. The second thing we have to do when we're doing that is we have to share it in a way that shows that we care about those that are receiving it. Ephesians 4.15 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to be more like Christ. We have to speak the truth, but we have to do it in love. We have to do it in a way that others will hear what we have to say. So we're called to tap our lives into the truth. Jesus brought the truth into the world, and the story of the truth is contained in the scriptures. We're called to apply that truth to our lives so that others would see the difference and desire the truth. What does this have to do with love? It has everything to do with love. You see, if you love others, then you will do everything you can to share the truth with them. You don't hide the truth from those you love. You don't try to deceive them. You share the truth so that they will also know what is real and complete. And you share the truth in a way that shows them that you genuinely love them. Maybe you're here today and you've never claimed the truth of Jesus for your life. If you've been looking in the world to find something that's real, absolute truth so that you can rest in it, you found it here. It's Jesus. He's the only source of truth. Are you ready to believe and tap your life into the one thing that's real and complete? The one source of truth. If that's you, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to claim the truth for your life. So if I could, if I could ask you to bow your heads with me. And if that's you, if you, have, if you would like to make that claim on your life this morning, I just ask that you would pray with me. God, I want, you to, I, I want to know you. I want to know the truth that comes from Jesus. I know that I allow wickedness of this world to deceive me and draw me in. And I thank you for sending Jesus to bring truth so that I can put my trust in him to be the guide of my life and my source for truth. I've heard the truth and today I choose to believe in Jesus. Thank you, God. Amen. If you made that decision this morning, it's an exciting thing. If you made it many years ago, it's still an exciting thing. But are you continuing to allow the wickedness to draw you in? Are you ready to be an ambassador for the love of Jesus Christ? Are you ready to tap into his truth and let it change you and let it draw others to him? Before we close in prayer, I want to I leave you with one final thought. What's the last word we say whenever we pray? Amen. Amen is a Hebrew word that means truth. When you finish a prayer with amen, you're not just saying, bye, I'm finished. You're saying, I believe what I just prayed. I believe in the truth of who I'm praying to. I believe in the truth of what I've read. I'm claiming that truth for my life. Don't take that little word for granted. When you say amen or you hear it said by others, think about your roots. Are they tapped into the truth 
Are they tapped into the truth so that your tree would have fruit that points others to the truth of Jesus? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you brought your son to this earth that truth might reside among us. We thank you that you did not hide the truth from us, that you made it plain for us to see and that you called us to follow after it. Lord, we pray that we would plant our roots deep into you, that we would be different, that the world would look upon us and they would see something there that's not natural for this world. Lord, transform us to be bearers of your truth. Go with us now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand.